0: Good morning, everyone. I'm telling you, there's not a place I would rather be on this side of eternity than right here with all of you right now. And I hope you feel the same way. It sure is good to be together, to recharge, to spend some time in God's Word. What a blessing that we live in a place where we can do this. Um, I want to start by, by bragging on a few people like I do most weeks. Um, most a lot of you may not realize that we have teams that do this but if you've recently been sick or lost a loved one you probably got a phone call from one of our members probably several of our members Um, and and that's because we have a group of people put together serving on a team we call it the bereavement team and they are they are the team that reaches out anytime someone is hurting or someone is sick you know it's a it's a small way that we serve one another But it's an important way that we serve one another, to to be able to do that and be there when those of us are in need. So I'm grateful for those of you who are making phone calls behind the scenes, the stuff that no one sees. But I know a lot of it is happening, and and thank you for doing that. If you're someone who can talk on the phone and would like to serve in that capacity, Cold and Rich is your man, so get a hold of him, um, and, and he can put you to work. This morning we're continuing our discussion on the story of Esther. And I want to begin by asking you this question. When are little moments huge? You know, last week we discussed... uh, how we live our lives in the flats, that's kind of the, the term that I coined, and how God uses our ordinary everyday moments to take us in extraordinary directions. And so we looked at Esther's cousin Mordecai and how, through his faithful and small everyday decisions, and, uh, and how he handled those circumstances that were sent his way, God used them to carry out his providential will and to make powerful things happening. Well, I want to take you back to this graph image this morning. Someone mentioned last week that I shouldn't be so excited about us being in the flats because that meant you were dead. But so I want to clarify, this is not an EKG, okay? I drew this on my iPad to make a point. It, It represents nothing other than the sermon illustration I'm trying to make. But we've used it to talk about several different things. So we, we started with week one looking at how, how God sometimes interacts in these large, miraculous moments throughout the course of history. And the Bible hits these peaks um, along the way, and it can cause us to think that that's God's normative way of acting. But I think the book of Esther was delivered to us to help us understand that God is also working in the flats In fact, the the normal everyday moments is where God is working to carry out His providential will. In fact, I believe that's the most normative way for God to work, in the flats. But last week we took this and we kind of turned it into our own um, everyday lives. Instead of representing history and how God intersects with history, we talked about our own lives and what this looks like for us as we are on this journey. And so we find ourselves walking most often in the flats, but looming ahead are these large, big, huge moments. Sometimes we know they're coming, sometimes we don't, but one thing is for sure, they are there. And while they may be small in duration, if you'd kind of look at the chart, you'll see they don't last for very long. They're, They're really big in the amount of impact that they make. Just because something is little doesn't mean it can't also be huge. We need to be prepared to to live our daily lives of faithfulness in the flats, but we also have to be prepared to respond when huge moments hit. What was the big moment in the story of Esther? I think we find it beginning in Esther chapter 4 and I want you to turn your Bibles there today I'm not going to have the scriptures on the screen so y'all are going to have to put in a little extra work and follow along with me so I want you to go to Esther chapter 4 in your Bibles or on your devices and while you're turning there I want to kind of give everyone an update on where we're at maybe you're joining us for the first time and the story of Esther is a new one to you and it's a really interesting story that we find in the Old Testament that tells the, the story of this young, orphaned Jewish girl named Esther. She was living in exile under the reign of King Ahasuerus, king of Persia, and being raised by her cousin Mordecai. Okay? Her cousin Mordecai, who took her in and became this father figure for her. Well, we see that uh, queen, uh, King Ahasuerus began looking for a new queen, And he uses this state-sponsored beauty pageant to do so. And Esther is one of the people who is noticed for her beauty. And so she's put in this beauty pageant, I guess you could call it. and, And she's brought to the king. And the text tells us that she won his grace and favor. And he selected her from all of the empire to be his replacement queen. But here's the deal. No one knew she was a Jew. She hadn't disclosed that at the moment. So we see the plot line starts to unfold. After being made queen, um, her, her cousin Mordecai gets in a spat with the king's right-hand man, Haman. And Haman decides, knowing that Mordecai is a Jew, that it's not just enough to get back at Haman. He's going to wipe the whole Jewish race off the face of the planet. So he convinces the king to pass an edict. And he declares this particular one singular day out ahead, the day when they are going to have free reign on the Jews. They're going to wipe them off the face of the planet. They're going to plunder their goods. They're going to kill all of them, men, women, and children, and get rid of this terrible Jew problem that the kingdom has. Well, you can imagine what it would be like to be a Jew and to hear that edict read. To know that there was this day set ahead when everyone was going to be against you. And they're really upset about it. The city of Susa is thrown into confusion. As I can imagine, the rest of the empire was as well as the edict made its way to the far ends of the empire. And when Mordecai hears the news, he puts on sackcloth and he puts on ashes and he goes to the king's gate. He can't go inside the king's courts like he's used to because of what he's wearing. And he mourns at the king's gate for what is about to happen. Well, you can imagine Esther hears wind of this. She doesn't know what's happened yet. She hasn't heard about the edict. And all she sees is her father figure, her cousin Mordecai, with sackcloth and ashes, and she's worried about him. So she sends her messengers um, out to the gate to ask what's going on. Mordecai Mordecai delivers the news and and sends them back with a excuse me, with a full reading of the edict. And and really what what he does is he begs her to use her queen's position to do something about it. Now we see Esther pushes back a little bit. After all, to approach the king was a dangerous thing. There was a law against her just going towards him uninvited. There was a law against her coming into his presence without being invited. So to do so was very risky. But we see Mordecai step in with a bold ask beginning in chapter 4, verse 12. Let's read the text together. "'Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa, and hold a fast on my behalf. "'And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. "'I and my young women will also fast as you do. "'Then I will go to the king, though it's against the law. "'And if I perish, I perish.' "'Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. "'On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes "'and stood in the inner court of the king's palace.' in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on the royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther approached and and touched the tip of the scepter, and the king said to her, "'What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you, even to half of my kingdom.'" It's like a big sigh of relief if you're following along with the story in this moment. I mean, Esther didn't know what was going to happen, and this was a really big moment. She'd gotten this really pointed pep talk from Mordecai, and she had decided pretty much to go big or go home. She literally put her life on the line to stand in front of the king and speak out for her people. Now, I think as I look at this story, we see... Esther's big moment kind of hits in two stages or two waves and and our big moments don't always look like this but I think that we can still learn something from what we see. You see we see first Esther was faced with a decision. She had to first decide whether or not she was going to speak. And then Esther was faced with an action. She had to carry out the decision that she had made. So I want to talk first about Esther's preparation. And I want to talk second about her action. Let's start with preparing for the huge moments. I want to read again Esther 4.16 because I believe all three of these these points that we're going to make, make can be found in verse 16. Esther is talking to Mordecai and sending this message. She says, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So what all do we see in this verse? I think the first thing that we see is that it's important, is that Esther focused outside of herself. And as we are preparing for our huge moments, we need to do so as well. Where I get this from is is the beginning of the verse, where Esther says, hold a fast on my behalf. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Now, fasting, that's an interesting thing that we don't really give much thought to. Would you all agree? We don't talk a whole lot about fasting, but fasting is found often in Scripture. And while I certainly don't have time to, to expound on all of the reasons that I think we find fasting, uh, that's not what this lesson is about. I want to kind of give a summary of how I view it. You see, fasting is a a spiritual discipline that I think at its core is designed to train our minds to have mastery over our bodies, to demonstrate that the spiritual is more powerful than the physical, to demonstrate that even when we want something, even when it's a a very carnal physical thing like, like food that we desire, that we don't have to have it. That we can deny ourselves of those things. Essentially, fasting is a spiritual discipline that, that takes our minds and focuses them outwards, away from our body and away from the things that we believe we need towards other things. Esther prepared for this huge moment by focusing her mind outside of herself. And I think we're called to do so as well when we have a huge moment ahead. But we also see that she didn't do it alone. We see that Esther didn't try to tackle this beast by herself. She engaged the community of Jews that were around her. And I believe that when we are facing huge moments, it's important for us to engage with our spiritual family. The text says that she told Mordecai together all the Jews to be found in Susa, and I and my young women will also fast. This was something that she wasn't going to do alone. This was something that she was going to do together. And as we look into the New Testament, we'd see that this is the pattern over and over again that's asked of believers. It's important. This isn't just something we do. This isn't just a box that we check. We don't just show up to sit in a pew and to listen to some guy attempts to preach. What we're doing here is much more involved than that. We're part of a community, and we're meant to engage with one another. Galatians 6:2 tells us bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We see the pattern emerging in Acts in Acts chapter 2:44 right after the church was formed and we have these thousands of believers being baptized, we read about the community that they formed where they shared everything and they spent time together and they ate together and the text says all who believed were together and had all things in common. Later on in Acts chapter 4 We read this powerful story where Peter and John were thrown into jail. And when they were released in the middle of the night, they went to their brothers and sisters who were all gathered together. And what did they do? They prayed. Together they prayed and they prayed. They they prayed for strength in the days ahead because they knew that persecution was coming. They knew that they were going to need strength. And in Acts 4.31 we read, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. What I see is a pattern of believers relying on one another when the big moments hit. We also see that Esther had developed this habit of placing others above herself. Loving. Loving others more than herself. At the very end of verse 16, Esther says, If I perish, I perish. Now that can seem very similar at first glance to my first point. Um, but I think that it's more specific. While while the first point focuses on our desires and our needs, getting getting out of our own out of our own head and, and looking towards others, this point focuses specifically on our relationship with other people. You know, it's so easy to to see our own protection and our own needs and and prioritize that over the needs of others. But Esther loved and loved in the fullest extent. John 15, 13 tells us, greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So what happens when, unlike Esther, we don't know when the big moment is around the corner? I think a lot of you are probably thinking that, okay, this is fine. Esther got to put all of these things in place because she was given a little heads up, and it doesn't always look like that for me. So how do we prepare for the surprise moments? The moments that maybe are going to take us off guard and i think that the the overarching attitude that we need to have is we need to exist in a state of preparedness parents know this you always have to be ready for your kid to ask some sort of super awkward question usually about babies or something of the sort and if you haven't prepared if you haven't prepared your mind for how you're going to answer that question it can be really uncomfortable in the moment But if you have given some thought to it, while you may still struggle with your answer, um, you can answer in a way that's that's good and that honors things. In 1 Peter 3.15, we're told this. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what does it look like to be prepared, to always be prepared to make a defense and I think we can take our cues from what we just learned about Esther. The first thing that we have to do is we have to train our bodies for self-control. 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and I keep it under control lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. We train our bodies for self-control. We, we don't just draw on community when we have a big moment arising. We live in habitual community. We make this a pattern of our everyday lives. Hebrews 10, 24-25 says, Let us consider how to stir one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. It's so important that we train ourselves by living in community. And finally, we train our hearts towards love. Romans 13, 8 through 11 reads, O no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time. That the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Note here what we see. We see first this call to love and and understanding that, that this manifests itself in how we treat one another. And then we see an encouragement that a big moment is around the corner. You see, I I believe this is essentially where this week's lesson ties in with what we learned last week. We prepare for big moments in the flats. Through daily faithfulness, we train our minds and our hearts, and, and, and we live in a way that places us in community with others so that we exist in a state of preparedness for these surprise moments. So what do we do when the moments hit? Let's look at Esther 5, 1 through 8 and see what happens during our huge moments. Um, If you think back before we read this on what happened to Queen Vashti at the beginning, um, this was certainly a risky move for Esther. You know, we know that it was against the law for her to approach the king the way that she did. The text says it, but it had to be even more complex than that. I mean, the very fact that she had the crown that she has centered around the idea that there was this other queen who broke these cultural norms and exercised the sense of independence from king ahasuerus and she was in danger of mirroring this type of action if she wasn't careful so here's what we see happening in esther 5 1-8 on the third day esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters While the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favor in his sight. And he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. then Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. And the king said to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? It shall be given to you, even half of my kingdom. And Esther said, If it please the king... Let the king and Haman come to a feast that I have prepared for the king. Then the king said, Bring Haman quickly, so that we may do as Esther has asked. So the king and Haman came to the feast that Esther had prepared. And as they were drinking wine after the feast, the king said to Esther, What is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what is your request? Even to half of my kingdom it shall be fulfilled. And then Esther answered, My wish and my request is... If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Now this was a huge moment for Esther, and I can imagine that her heart was racing. She didn't know how it was going to go. And so before we dive into it, I want to pause and ask you an important question. What would a moment like this look like for you? Not, not how would you respond were you in Esther's shoes. I'm asking in your day-to-day, everyday lives, what would a, a big, huge little moment look like for you? I don't want to minimize Esther's risk by comparing her situation to ours. Very few of us, maybe none of us in this room, have ever been asked to put our life on the line to stand for what is right. Now, I think it's likely there will be a day when some of us are called to do that, and I hope we are prepared in that moment. But just because the risk that we face daily are maybe less than that of Esther doesn't mean that we can't talk about them. So what would a big moment look like for you? Maybe it's a conversation with a family member. Maybe it's a conversation with a coworker. Maybe it's a, a struggle or a choice you're going to have in a moment to protect yourself with a lie or be honest and tell the truth. Maybe it's a, a social risk that you're going to take, a big decision you're going to have to make to maybe leave a social situation that you shouldn't be in. You know, for us, the big moments are when our, our faith is clearly challenged. These often show up as big conversations when we can choose to speak or remain silent. And and big opportunities where we can choose to blend in with the crowd or stand firm in our faith. You know, there are certainly times when we are required to make big, bold decisions that are potentially costly. Decisions that are scary for us. Decisions that, that carry a lot of weight. So how? How did Esther act in the midst of her big moment, and what can we learn from that? you know often I think we have this picture of these huge little moments being the times when in our spiritual lives we kind of follow the the wrestling the TV wrestling match type uh, of pattern and we and we grab the folding chair and we climb up on the edge of the of the of the what is the ring and you know and we're, we're staged there and we're ready to pounce and and our enemies down there and we're going to take them out and it's this big big theatrical huge explosive type of event where we're going to knock things down and put someone in their place and show them how it's going to be we envision these these big moments full of energy and excitement and extremism but here in esther it's actually not what we see We feel this sigh of relief when the king gives her a pass. And then we see that she moves in this really deliberate and slow fashion. You know, I I look at this and the first question I have is, why? Why did Esther wait? Why did she delay? And the text doesn't tell us. I don't know. It, It simply doesn't say. It would appear to me that Esther was exercising a discerning wisdom. I mean, she obviously had a plan. It would seem that she was wise, that she read the room, that she understood who she was dealing with, and she acted with discretion. You see, during this huge moment, Esther leaned on the wisdom of others and leaned on the bridges she had built and the relationships she had with those around them. Esther had developed this habit over time. If we backed up into Esther chapter 2, we would see it. Like if you look in Esther chapter 2, verse 15, we read, When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihel, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go into the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who had charge of the women, advised. So we see that Esther was willing to listen to the counsel of those around her. Now, Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her, it says. I would imagine that had something to do with it. Esther was wise in how she navigated these relationships, even with those who weren't Jews, especially with those who weren't Jews. And she navigated them well. In Esther 2.17, we read, The king loved Esther more than all the women, and she won grace and favor in his sight. Now, she was certainly attractive, and I think that had a lot to do with it. But it it seems that there maybe was an element of something else there that he saw. Something that caused him to, to look on her with grace and favor. Or in Esther 2.20, we read, Esther had not made known her kindred or her people as Mordecai had commanded her, for Esther obeyed Mordecai just as when she was brought up by him. So we see this, this woman in the position of queen still listening to the counsel of Mordecai, someone who she didn't even have to give another second thought to anymore. Esther had certainly learned to lean on the wisdom of others, and she had certainly exerted a lot of effort building relationships with those around her. And we see that during her huge moment, when the time was right, she leveraged those relationships with bold and clear requests. In Esther 4.17, we read, Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Now, it's easy to read over that, but notice the change in tone there. All this time, Esther had been obeying what Mordecai had said, and all of a sudden, Esther made a demand of Mordecai. And what did he do? He did exactly what she said. Or in Esther 5, 7 through 8, we read, Then Esther answered, My wish and request is, if I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them. When it was time to make the ask, she asked very clearly, or later on in Esther 7.3, we haven't gotten there yet, we haven't read this part of the text, but, but when she finally gets to her final request, it says, Then Queen Esther answered, If i found favor in your sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be granted me for my wish and my people for my request. You know, we often think our our moment is a turning of the tables in the temple moment and a a cutting off of the high priest ear moment, but I'm not sure that's the type of big moments we should be looking for. We've already read 1 Peter 3.15 where the text tells us to give our defense with gentleness and respect. That's not the only place that we're called to be careful with our speech and our interaction with others. Colossians 4.6 says this, Let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. I believe Esther is a wonderful role model for us. She shows us what it looks like to be prepared, to have wisdom and discretion, to have clear and concise speech, self-control and restraint, and, and to understand the importance of timing, knowing when it's necessary and helpful to speak and when it's not. I certainly think there's a lot of us who could use more boldness like Esther had. I also think there's a lot of us who could use a bit more wisdom and discretion in how we interact with others. And the sad truth is, probably a lot of us need to work on both. So let's run some hypotheticals now as I'm winding down. I'm going to assume that you've prepared for a big moment. You have an attitude of love, you have an outward focus, you're connected to the supportive community. This is something that you have trained for, this, this huge moment that's ahead. And then, and then the big moment arrives. It's a huge moment, and you fail. Many of you can look back on moments, on opportunities that you have and you just totally missed. You fumbled the football, you struck out, you, you maybe didn't even swing, you, you struck out looking. And you were set there almost with a sense of shame in missing this big moment, this opportunity that you have. What happens when we fail? I think Mordecai had great insight, Esther 4.14. Mordecai says this, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise from the Jews, for the Jews from another place. But, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And here's the undertone, I think, to what Mordecai is saying. He's saying, God is going to make this happen, and he's going to make it happen whether you're on board or you're not. But it looks to me like he's about to use you. So don't miss the opportunity that's in front of you. Our goal should certainly be hitting the mark. We should should work hard to hit the mark in the big moments God has provided, but we can all think of a time when we slipped and we didn't. And I think it's important that we know this. We serve a God who is so big that our mistakes are not capable of sidetracking His plan. Relief and deliverance will rise from another place. And even if you slip in a big moment, we find the biblical pattern is this. Not that God says, good riddance, and writes you off. But God invites you back and says, let's go again. Can you think of someone else who struggled with this? Maybe Peter. Peter, the apostle, fumbled big time in a big moment. Back in John chapter 13, Jesus is telling them what's going to happen, and and Peter kind of bows up. He says, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus says, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. And later in John chapter 18, we see this same Peter standing and warming himself in verse 25. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. And one of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Peter missed. Peter struck out and he didn't even swing. And to be honest, Peter was devastated by this. Peter Peter went back to fishing. He tried to leave ministry. He tried to go back to the work that he was in before. But the Lord called him from the boat and he brought him to the to the the ground and he forgave him and he said, Hey, now I'm I'm gonna make you a fisher of men, like I said, you go feed my sheep. And he put him back to work. And Peter was the one that on the day of Pentecost stood up and preached the gospel for the first time and converted 3,000 people. And I don't know how many more after that. Peter became a key part of God's plan. And you want to know why? Because he didn't focus on the past. He looked to the future. And that's not what I want this lesson to do for you. I do not want this lesson to be one that makes you look back at all of the missed opportunities and say, man, I really missed some big things. Maybe you did. I've missed some big things too. But this lesson is about looking forward. This lesson is about looking ahead to the moments that are ahead and preparing ourselves for them and asking ourselves, how can I be more prepared for the next one? Am I ready? Are you ready for the huge moments? Because there are more ahead. Just like Esther, we need to be focused on the outward instead of the inward. We need to be supported by a Christian community. We need to work to be sure we're motivated by genuine love for other human beings, ready to speak boldly while carrying ourselves with wisdom and discretion. Never before have more people been given more opportunity to have a voice than this time in history. We need to be prepared to use this voice to speak boldly for the truth, to use our influence and our position for good to speak on behalf of those who can't speak for themselves to step up to the plate for the moments that God sends our way. Ephesians 2:10 says, "We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them." You are his workmanship. And God has certainly prepared big moments for you. Big opportunities are ahead, and they're just for you. And my question is, are you ready? May you watch and listen and love this week. I want to extend two invitations as I'm wrapping up. The first is this. I want to invite you back this evening. We're going to begin a new series from the Psalms called Rhythms of Life. We're going to follow through five different psalms through different seasons of life and see how they speak to us in different ways at different times. So I'm excited about that, and I would like for you to join us. Secondly, I would like to invite you to share with us your struggles. You know, if you're thinking about baptism, if you're thinking about membership, if you're thinking about Bible study or struggling in your Christian walk, we want you to know that we want to help you know, oftentimes I think we present the invitation as if this is the one and only time you can come forward and get help. And that is not true. We have our phone number posted everywhere. And if you need private help, we are there for you and we want you to take advantage of that. But we also have this time set aside where we are ready collectively as a, as a family to pray for you, to love on you, and to give you the things that you need. So if you have a need, we invite you to come forward as we stand and as we sing.